Man of Science, Man of Faith, episode 7.99 is now up. Election 2020, you're not safe. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you can find podcasts. And that brings us to today's episode. This is something I've wanted to do for a long time, which is expand beyond music. And today I have George Collins. He is the founder and director of Nulia by Compulsion Solutions and is a recognized expert on sexually compulsive behavior. George holds a master's degree in counseling psychology from John F. Kennedy University. Here he is, the one and only George Collins. Okay, I think we have started now. So today we have George Collins, the author of Breaking the Cycle. Can you tell me a little bit about the inspiration for the book? Uh, yes, uh, um, uh, Taylor, I was a uh, sex addict myself, um, porn addict mostly, but uh, many, many years ago before the internet, uh, just even before VCRs, my idea of a good time was to find a, a Sears catalog, The Brides, and masturbate to that. So that was many, many years ago before it got out of, completely out of hand. Um, so I'm, I, I'm a nice enough guy and I, I do pretty well, uh, but I underachieved and I underearned because I was always uh, um, thinking about sex and how to get it. I was preoccupied. Uh, some people call it addicted. I didn't, the words sex addict wasn't uh, popular in those days. So I tried to get some therapy around it, uh, uh, presented it to, to uh, therapists and, and through the years, no one really understood or what I what I meant, and everybody said it was okay. Everybody does it, and blah 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 blah. And as it got worse and worse, I got worse and worse, and I my performance in life was less than uh, less than useful. Um, I lost two wives, two really good wives, two keepers uh, over this. Not over the sex addiction per se, but, but my attitude, my fear, and my shame, and my pain, and my self doubt, and my self judgment, and my self-criticism, my anger. Uh, so those are the things that caused me to uh, to have the problem. I, mean, I had the problem because my mother and father were addicts and my mother sexually abused me and my father physically abused me. So those are prime ingredients for people to find some addiction. And because I found my father's porn, uh, it was easy for me to uh, uh, transpose that. He was an alcoholic too, uh, but it, they, you know, watching them, look so sloppy that I, I guess I unconsciously picked sex because it was more fun. And, you know, the truth is nobody ever had a bad orgasm. So they were fun when I was a kid and I didn't know what to do. And uh, the magazines were available and it spiraled uh, from there. Uh, so, uh, like I said, I underachieved and I underearned, even though I did well, it was nothing like what I could have done. No, I didn't live up to my potential. So after the second wife left, I, I moved to California. My sister said maybe a change of scenery, but that doesn't really work because wherever you go, there you are. And so there I was in California, but the good part about living in California is there's all kind of inspiration and everybody does therapy and, you know, and so, so I was exposed to more, uh, more options. Uh, I finally, couldn't, didn't know what to do. So I, I uh, uh, couldn't get help from anybody I knew out here. Therapy wasn't working. 
I spent over $100,000 in my lifetime on, on traditional talk therapy. And on the way home from those sessions, I'd stop at a porn shop and pick up some porn and masturbate all weekend. So that didn't work for me. Um, talking about it was funny, almost humorous to my inner addict, my that part of me that wanted to do it. So uh, uh, I found the 12 steps of Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Um, I got into that. I did very, very well. I became, a, after being a sponsee, I, I finally became a sponsor and I sponsored probably 30 or 40 people, even one woman in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, which was quite unusual. Um, during that time, I realized that, I kind of realized that if I couldn't get help from somebody else, then I was the only one that could fix this. And so in order to do that, I... I, I was, I was going to ask, what exactly is sex and porn addiction? Um, sex and porn addiction is, is the inability to function normally in relationships and work and social settings and, 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 uh, and, uh, and, and hobbies, uh, just having a fun life. It's preoccupation to the point where your life gets altered and not for the better. It's being a lonely guy in a dark room with your penis in your hands. That's kind of what it ends up being or out with prostitutes or something. So what is the, the pathology, I guess, of the disease? Who are sex addicts? Um, sex addicts are generally people who have had difficult early childhoods, uh, abuse, abandonment, betrayal, uh, exposure to um, sexual material, um, incest with family members, um, people who, people who, are, are, who have an, a, a neurotic uh, who, who grow up in homes where neurosis, that fear and shame and pain and self-doubt and judgment, criticism and anger, where those things are kind of fostered. So you could choose alcohol, you can choose drugs, you can choose food. Some people choose sex. So those who choose sex, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions, I feel like, in our society, in our culture. This is a very taboo topic because right. um, I, I feel people think of Harvey Weinstein they think of Bill Cosby people right. like that when they think of sex addicts right um, and what you're saying is, is is that's not the case it's normal people that grew up in traumatic situations who haven't learned how to function you know I'd like to tell you that in a, in a funny way everybody's a sex addict because you're going to do it you're going to have sex. It's like food. You're going to eat. So everybody is addicted to food and everybody's, quote, addicted to sex. So you're going to have sex. It's just a matter of how you do it. Does that make any sense? That makes sense. Um... So the people that get caught up in it, the people that get caught up in it, that use it as a coping mechanism, a mechanism for coping with trauma or fear or anxiety. Avoiding feelings. Yeah, it's just a way of dealing with feelings. And the problem is that you don't really understand that you're doing it. You think it's normal and you normalize it. And the problem, the bigger problem is that Madison Avenue knows that sex sells. And so look around. 
sex is you know sex addiction isn't talked about but sex sure is sex sells pictures of women uh, selling hamburgers with their breasts hanging out and everywhere you look uh, well i think you talk about in the book too kind of madison avenue using the same terms for food that they do as sex sensuous stuff stuff like that you know right 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 yeah yeah it's it's messy what what do you think how can this be brought into the mainstream like how can people start talking about it you know there's a few people like terry cruz that are out there who are kind of an advocate but it's still very taboo in american culture you know it was a few years ago um i did a lot of a lot and they flew me to new york to do tv shows but for some reason it's kind of gone underground I'm not exactly sure why, uh, uh, maybe because the political situation in the last few years has been so in, inflammatory uh, and there's so much polarization that their people are preoccupied more with other things than they are with um, self-help. Interesting. Yeah, because it's if you look at American culture, like you were saying with Madison Avenue, sex is all around us all the time and, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that per se you know i'm no prude but i feel like there are side effects that we aren't talking about from this and there's a lot of people um like you were kind of saying that are suffering almost in silence you were talking about your experience and kind of suffering in silence and it just being seen as oh this is normal this is natural but in the same way that people are like some people just can't drink they can't have a beer without having 15, 20, whatever, and going on a bender, it's the same way for sex addicts, you're saying. Yeah, I don't or can't look at J-Lo on the red carpet. And she's almost every day in some revealing outfit on, on, my, uh, on my newsfeed. I just skip over it because it's just not healthy for me. And I've, I'm recovered. I'm, I'm in real good shape. But... One of my chapters in my book is called First Thought Wrong and then Second Thought Right. First Thought Wrong, Second Thought Wrong, Third Thought Right. So the part, part of what I do, uh, my book is different than other books because it's a, it actually is a self-help book. The whole idea that we have is to uh, instruct our clients how to be their own therapist. So it's radically different than sitting around talking about sex addiction. And is that because of your own personal experience with yeah, sex and porn I, addiction? I had to fix it. If I didn't fix it, I was going to end up a lonely old man in a dark room with my penis in my hand. I didn't want that. I mean, I saw it coming. I mean, I was older. I was, I was 45 years old before I really, really got any kind of handle on um, that this was bad and I had to do something about it or I wasn't going to have a decent human being, a woman in my life, a uh, partner. And I couldn't be intimate. There's a difference between sex and intimacy. And I, all I ever thought was sex. And when I had partners, uh, I would have sex with them, but I'd be thinking about porn or I would be thinking about other women. And that was because of my, you know, the incest my mother perpetrated on me. And what men do oftentimes, almost always, is maternalize their wives. They just don't know they're doing it. When they say the honeymoon's over, what that really means is that unconsciously you've made your wife into a mother because now you're living with her and it kind of replicates your early situation. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Yeah. 
it's kind of weird. Once I tell people that they've maternalized their, their wife, uh, the, the clouds come away and she starts to look hot. You know, the word hot. I hate the word hot, but she starts to look hot again. There's an attraction there again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you don't know that you're doing it. But, but you know, as soon as you start living with somebody, it unconsciously replicates the eight, 16 or 18 years you lived in your house with this woman called mom. When someone is in a relationship, what are the warning signs that their partner might be a porn or a sex addict? Um, if, if the sex starts to dry up, if they're not emotionally available, sometimes money starts being short and disappearing, not as if they're, if they're using real people. Um, if they disappear into the bathroom, or go lock the door in their uh, office at home. Nowadays, we're, we're getting a huge influx of clients because men are home now and locking themselves in a, in a spare room pretending to do work and wives are catching them. And it's just, it's good for us. It's good for them, but it, it, it's hard. It's, it's hard on families. Can we get a little bit into the science of the brain in this addiction, um, an addiction in general, what, what does that look like? Um, as far as just like, uh, I've heard a little bit about rewiring the brain, your brain has to be rewired. Can you talk a little, little bit about that? Yeah. Have you, have you read uh, your brain on porn? Uh, that is, uh, what's, what's the guy's name? Um, I'm something Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful guy. Really smart. And it, it's an excellent book. It's a primer. You know, it really helps you understand how your uh, uh, how your brain works. You know? uh, the thing is that uh, uh, we are not our mind. We, you know, we are not our mind. We are conscious awareness, and we have this software uh, that that is, is installed as we grow, as we're from the time we're infants. That makes sense to you? Yes. So that thing on your shoulder blades you thought was a head is actually a hard drive. And on that hard drive is everything that you ever smelled, tasted, touched, heard, or, or any, anything at all. And most of it's good. Most of it's good. You know, you go about your business during the day. You do what you're supposed to do. You're a good person. Uh, but then if, you're, if, if the wiring, if the software that was written by your family of origin or the girl next door or for whatever reason, your sexual wiring uh, or, or software gets uh, corrupted then uh, and and the payoff is an orgasm then uh, that's how your brain is on porn because your brain is not who you are it gets hijacked really, really, it's hijacked so the hardest thing i have to explain to people is that you're not your mind it, it it's it's not an easy thing because mind wants you to believe everything it's, it's thinking in the moment and it, none of it, it it's just not true because you even a computer doesn't always tell the truth. If you don't update your software on a computer, you're not efficient with the computer. So every month uh, on my computer or so, I get a little a little uh, window comes up and it says, "Do you want to update your software? Push this button." And I push the button, and I have new software, better software. The computer works better. I'm more productive. Uh, we just don't have a delete button on our neck. You don't have a delete button on your neck, do you? Uh, no, I, uh, I haven't had it installed by Elon Musk. Right. 
Right. So the only delete button I've found is the, is my book, and working with one of us is that we help you delete old uh, old corrupted software around sex and porn and prostitutes and massage and and all the weird stuff that goes along with it. And I've heard a ton of really out there stuff. We help you delete and we we help you have a refresh button so that you refresh and then you can experience love and intimacy and as a byproduct of this thing, most of the people that come to me start making more money after they leave. Because it's kind of a simple, simple notion that if they uh, uh, aren't thinking about sex and how to get it all the time and don't feel fearful and ashamed and angry over sneaking around, then, oh, what the hell, they might as well make more money and, and be really productive. And it happens all the time. When it comes to addiction now, uh, porn addiction, we have this phone in our pockets that has access to everything we could ever imagine. And especially the past couple of months, I keep reading that uh, OnlyFans, as, as you know, people are getting desperate out there to make money. They're out of work. They're turning to things like women are turning to things like OnlyFans to kind of supplement their income a little bit. Um, I'm kind of curious about maybe the similarity between porn addiction and opioid addiction a little bit. Um, How many people can actually maintain like a normal, healthy relationship? Not necessarily how many people, but with uh, with sex and porn, since we have so much access to it, because I know with like uh, the opioid thing, there's people who don't have any history of addiction or trauma or anything like that in their family. And they get hooked on these pills, you know, if they had a surgery or something like that. Um, So what, what are kind of your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, everybody's had some kind of trauma. Okay. So you don't, nobody escapes. I tell people that you bring anybody you want to in my office and I'll have them crying in 10 minutes. Good. Yep. There's, nobody escapes having some kind of crazy thing that went on in their life. And it may not be a lot and it may have an exemplary home, but everybody's had some trauma. And so there's always an opening for a way to cope. Now, when you think of it, when you smoke marijuana or even do maybe crack cocaine is pretty, pretty much of a rush, but, but when you're drinking alcohol or smoking marijuana, you don't have an orgasm. An orgasm is a peak experience in your, in your life. I mean, it's unbelievable. You, there's no way to replicate it. And so uh, sex is the hardest addiction I know to get over. I have people that are doing crack cocaine and that are doing alcohol and drugs because most people are uh, have the combination of some kind. And they have they easily, easily stop that stuff. But the hardest part I have is to get them to stop the sex addiction because of the rush. And it's not just the, the orgasm, it's the chase, it's the excitement. It's trying to find somebody online. Blue sky it's and high heels. Just the right video. Just the right video mm-hmm. for that moment. And then they'll go on for I, people that spend four, five, six hours a day and masturbate uh, you know, four, five, six times. I had a guy masturbating so many times that when he had an orgasm, it, it, it was bloody. Oh, God. I mean, that's that's some that's dangerous stuff. Wow. Yeah, I... Um... You can cut that out if you want to. No, no, no. I want to leave it in. I want I want people to hear this and, and understand that this is like a, a real thing because I think a lot of people, they hear about uh, porn and sex addiction and they just kind of scoff at it. 
And That's a progressive disorder. It gets worse. How so? Well, if you have you ever been to have you ever been to Pornhub? Yes, I, I have been a time or two. Okay, go to Pornhub and look at the right-hand column and the bottom and all these things. This is where they're trying to sell the package. So Pornhub says free porn. There's people call me and say it's free. I'm, do, I'm only doing free porn. I'm not paying for it. Well, you are paying for it in time because what are your what is your time worth? You know, I once cum- accumulated the hours that I had spent looking at sex and thinking about it, and I lost, and I, I multiplied by my general wage that would be, I don't know, 25 bucks an hour, and, you know, which wasn't what I make now, but but it was an early living wage, and my, uh, my shortfall was a million dollars. So I lost a million bucks, and most people have lost, whenever you're using porn in, in a dark room, you're losing time valuable time for your partner, time you could be working or thinking about important, intelligent things, stuff like that. Thinking about this makes me think a little bit about kind of what's happening with a lot of uh, young men in America right now. You know, I think um, young men in some ways are really put down by our, our culture, not necessarily put down, but they're, they're not allowed to express themselves or talk about these kind of things or talk about their trauma or the difficulties that they've had in life. It's seen as uh, shameful by our society. You know, they put it down. Oh, so weak. It makes you, makes you weak. That's what they say. Yes, makes you weak. Exactly. And you see almost this backlash that's happening in, you know, the, the incel culture, invol- which stands for involuntary celibate. Um, right. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? And like incels in general, and what, what have you seen? What have you personally dealt with? Well, every, most everybody that calls here feels like they haven't had enough sex and that they, when they were 15, uh, they're, you know, the cheerleader wouldn't go out with them. There's story after story after story about, about people that have been rebuffed. And, and, and those guys uh, get themselves into uh, feelings of fear and shame and pain, and they doubt themselves Rejection. and they judge themselves, and it makes them really, really angry. So a lot of these incel groups are just angry men, young men and older men, who who are banded together to uh, to uh, just feel better about something. At least they can bitch about women. At least they can bitch about not getting enough sex. And I've had people like that. Almost everybody that comes here. Has felt like they they didn't score, or or the girl they wanted didn't uh, died on them, or, or wouldn't wouldn't go out with them, or went out with their friend. I mean, all that is fodder for the incel culture. And if you carry it too far, then you find people of like mind, and you band together, and you gripe and grouse, and and sometimes do really weird stuff. So these incels, uh, the people that are doing like the mass shootings and things like that. Do you think that these people could potentially be porn addicts or what, what are your well, thoughts on uh, that? Read, read, read the statistics. I mean, if you really, I haven't done a whole lot of research, but every time I read about a mass shooting, the stuff they find on their computer is, is um, um, there's porn. There's some, some degradation of, of, of people uh, and mostly women. Interesting. And, 
for something like that, it goes back again to that, that early childhood trauma. And they're upset. They're angry. They feel like they're left out by society. Isolated. They're isolation. You got to one of the things I do with people. First of all, when they come here, you know, when I work with them is, is get them out of the house, get them, get them. And you know, not so much anymore, but uh, even, even online, get them to do something, you know, get them to do something, get them to be involved in something, something good, something positive. So we find something uh, fun for them to do the real F word, not, not the other F word. Fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What, what would be fun? And then we find them, get them to start doing it. And, and if, it, if they have a spouse, then we get them to do that with them. And uh, we just bring them out of the, out of the dark room and get them to do whatever they do. If they're in Iowa, we get them to go square dancing. If they're in California, we get them to go to uh uh, yoga class together. I mean, we do whatever we have to do to get people to to form bonds of intimacy, <clears throat> which is tricky because if you don't know how to do it and you're afraid of it, um, even if you're married for 10 years, um, it's a big deal. So we do couples counseling, you know, just like I have a split screen with you, uh-huh. I have a split screen with couples. And I, uh, we have individual, we do individual work with the wives because the wives of all divorces have to do with sex addiction Uh, and and, uh, and 75% of those women are suffering from some form of post-traumatic stress disorder because who wants to keep catching their husband looking at women with giant boobs? Interesting. Yeah, I've I've never heard that statistic before. Um, Did you know that almost 30,000 people right now every second are watching porn in the United States. It doesn't shock me, especially these days. I wonder what those numbers must be like. Cause it, uh, a couple of weeks ago, that whole thing with Jeffrey Tubin happened from the New Yorker. Right. Which when I heard that, the first thing I thought of was sex addict. Right. Cause he, right. it was during norm, normal working hours. You know, he, he was on this zoom call um, right. in a business meeting or whatever didn't know he was on the call, whatever the details were, but the point was he was supposed to be working, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I talk to men all the time that are, that are have two, two, uh, two, uh, two screens up. One is porn and the other one is some sort of business activity, especially with the, um, with, with the COVID stuff going on. Another statistic that interests me is that almost $4,000 a second in this country is being spent on porn. So it's not free. Really? $4,000 a second. I, well, a few, years ago, we, a few years ago, we made some effort. I don't know, some crazy misguided effort to call some of these higher grade porn, porn producers and, and, and porn sites. And we just wanted them to allow us to put, um, you know how the warning label is on cigarettes? Yeah, yeah. We asked if we could just put a, a real easy warning label on before every every uh, one of these porn things that came up on the uh, uh, on the internet. And the guy just about thought he was going to pee his, his pants. He laughed so hard. He said, "I'd have to sell one of my Rolls Royces if I did that." So. So getting into the porn industry a little bit, I don't know how much you know about it um, as far as like the backgrounds of the women that are involved in this. 
What what are they like? We call they call here. We get at least one or two calls a month from uh, sex workers, whether it's prostitute or massage people or or porn. You know, porn. We call every everyone wants to be called a porn star, but you know, there's just a few of those. Uh, but every woman, uh, women, they get drawn into it, like people that emigrate to uh, areas where they, like California, where there's not enough work for beautiful women. And so uh, they they uh, degenerate themselves into uh, and, and find ways to make a living. Some it's prostitution and, and stripping and some it's massage, but uh, a good deal of it is porn. Some of it is high-end you know, uh, in a in a studio, and so it's just in a, in a in a rented motel room. But there's always somebody around that's advertising for young girls, and giving them a thousand bucks for a couple of hours of time, because they'll get all that money back fifty times. So with with women, one stat that I've heard is that there's a very high number of them that have some experience in their past with sexual trauma or molestation or when they were a kid. Can you talk a little bit about that? It's almost 100% uh, some kind of problem. Uh, but uh, uh, we get calls all the time and we we uh, refer them to, we, there are sources, places where they can get help. That we, we don't specialize in that, but we do refer women on. So uh, the trauma that they receive is generally incest or, or abuse. Um, there are, men are not kind to women. And part of that has to do with the culture and the way movies are made. And certainly the way porn is made, because if you watch, uh, if you watch porn, you'll see, I think the statistic is that 85% of every porn clip is abusive of women. It doesn't have anything to do with anything like, like equality. And so uh, women are abused and they're again, suffering from some sort of trauma, trauma PTSD, and they have to be handled in that fashion. That makes me think about uh, a lot of uh, young men, you know, that they're maybe discovering porn at the age of 11, like my generation, I'm, I'm almost 29. And I, th- what is the average age that young men are seeing porn for the first time now? It's getting lower and lower. About five years ago, it was 12 or 13. And now, um, the other day, it was a month ago, I got a call from a young man in the Midwest. And it was, you could tell it was a little kid. I mean, he was like nine years old. And he said to me, why is the man pee-peeing in the lady's face? And so I said, who is this? And he says, my name is such and such, and I'm from uh, Minnesota or somewhere. And I said, well, this is wonderful that you're calling me. I'm glad you did. And, and I had a good talk with him about what it, kind of what it was. I didn't want to go too far because I wanted to talk to his parents. So I said, I, I need to talk to your mommy now. And he said he wouldn't because she would beat him. And I said, she won't beat you. So his mommy got on the phone and she said she was going to beat the hell out of him uh, right away. And I said, you're not going to do that or else I'll call Child Protection Services in your town, and I will do it in less than a minute. You're gonna to listen to me, and when your husband comes home, you're gonna have a good talk with this young man because he's a hero. He's asking a question that most kids don't answer, uh, uh, don't ask. And so that kid is, uh, it was a month ago, and he's doing great now. 
his parents started, his parents got on the phone and they started crying. And they had a, a free, I did a free session with them because I felt so proud of the kid. And I was very happy to instruct them on how to talk to him and some, some books to get for him. Uh, you know, some nice books that talk about intimacy. They learned a lot too. And they told me that. They said, we didn't know all this stuff ourselves. Wow, that's crazy. Nine years old. That makes me think uh, also about uh, just a lot of young men, you know, they're discovering this porn so early. And then when it comes time for their first sexual experience, uh, they don't really know what to do or what's going on because they, they, they only are acting out what they've already seen. You know, the brain, of course, being the hard drive uh, or the head being the hard drive and you having that software implemented. If all you see is a girl getting smacked, getting her hair pulled, stuff like that. That's what you're going to try and replicate. Yeah, or, or someone shooting semen in somebody's face. I mean, there isn't a woman in the world that likes that. Nobody wants to, no woman. I've never heard of a woman. I've asked a question <laughs> because I'm in the business. Do you really like that? they like no part of that, no part of that. So there's something called PIED, P-I-E-D. Have you heard of that? Porn-induced erectile dysfunction, yeah. yes. So most of the people that call me have PIED if they're doing porn and they look at their wife and of course their wife, if they have a kid or two or three or four, they don't look like these 18 year old kids uh, that are doing the porn. And so uh, they, uh, what happens is that the brain rewires and rewires and rewires to the point where their girlfriends, their online girlfriends are the people, that's the real sex they're having. And they lose interest in their wife because uh, because of our society and we want everything young, we want everything fresh, we want everything fit, we want everything buff. And we, we want it now. And what happens to your poor wife? I mean, the woman that gets the, uh, that gets the cold compress when you have the flu, what happens to her? Well, you throw her out because now you've got your girlfriends and you can go in the dark room uh, and watch them and have, uh, you know, have sex in that way. So people get uh, porn-induced erectile dysfunction with real live people because they're so used to having control, you know, with their mouse, you know, the, their, the mouse over what they watch. And, and they can watch any scene, any, any, anything they want, anytime. And of course, everybody comes to me with these crazy, you know, you start spinning out and you, you're desperate to look at women with puffy nipples or, or you're a foot guy or or you're a rear, you know, an anus guy. It's just beyond belief what people get get hooked up in. So I've done a little research as well on uh, Patrick Carnes, who he wrote yeah. Out of the Shadows. Is that correct? Yes. Um, and he uh, he talks a little bit about the arousal template, which was something I thought was very interesting. Because um, basically, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here, but the arousal template there's a reason why we're sexually attracted to what we are sexually attracted to. Right. And we're acting out some kind of former trauma. Um, can you talk about your experience and maybe some of the, the people that you've dealt with and what, what exactly that is? Well, the arousal template is based on, you know, some people say it's, it's uh, nature and some people say it's nurture. But uh, I believe more in the nurture part. So <clears throat> however sex was presented to you in the most exciting, wonderful form <clears throat> is 
where your arousal template as you uh, mature from zero to 15, where it's formed, and that's the software. <coughs> so the arousal template is no more than software. And, and it kicks in automatically in a nanosecond, so fast that you think that that's who you are. But if you can observe the arousal template, you can finally realize that, my God, I've been under the illusion that I had to have the perfect, the perfect woman with the perfect breasts and the perfect rear end with no stretch marks and no, uh, no spider veins. It just, it doesn't happen with real people. And it, you know, the porn stars get old too. Yes, indeed. Um, what is your percentage split of uh, male sex and porn addicts versus female sex and porn addicts? We find that the people that call it are, that are females are more addicted to love and relationship. Interesting. So they're not really addicted. I don't, very seldom do I have a woman that's addicted to porn. Most women watch porn because they they can get a guy, uh, they can have sex or, or they can pretend they're having intimacy with a guy while he's watching someone else have sex and, and having sex with her. So, and there are women that are so desperate for men that they'll do anything, including have sex with their wife, uh, with their guy, uh, their husband's best friend or, or a guy they meet on the street. I mean, whatever guys can conjure up that's weird and wacky because of the porn, you know, you watch it on, on porn sites, they'll try and get their wife to do. And if you're a love addict or a relationship addict, and you're afraid because you're still a woman and women are not treated the same in this country, no matter what anybody says, mm -hmm. make the same amount of money, they're not treated the same way. And so a lot of women are dependent on men for an income or for a house, a roof over their heads. And they're afraid to mess, mess that up uh, because they don't know where they will go. Well, with women too, it, in terms of society, whatever it is, women are valued in a, a different, more sinister way up front, which is for their looks and what they can provide. Yeah, they, they, bought that, they bought into that too. I mean, Madison Avenue gets them to buy cosmetics and, and boob jobs and 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 uh, little tiny, bikini, you know, string bikinis. I mean, thongs and, and things like this. And it's 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 crazy that women are, are part of the part of the problem too, uh, unknowingly, by uh, all this mass marketing that makes them into objects. Interesting. Yeah. Look, and at, look at Kim Kardashian. I mean, my understanding is she doesn't have any talent to do anything but walk around in bikinis and, and uh, be provocative. And, and, and uh, you know, doesn't, there's no talent there. She, she just makes millions of dollars just by doing, uh, just by appearing on, uh, uh, on, online. And she, the reason that she got famous originally and came into kind of the public knowledge was because of a, a porn tape of hers leaked, right. leaked right. air quotes. Right. Well, uh, she has people that spent, she spends a fortune every week uh, and there, there was an article I read recently. I, I'm pretty sure it was the same guy uh, who she employs for a lot of money every week to, for, so that every day uh, she will appear uh, you know, uh, somewhere uh, in, in the media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just kind of like all-encompassing now because we have these phones 
So we just see boobs, asses, like the whole Instagram model thing. It's just always in our face. And if you are an addict that can't control yourself, it's like you have an unlimited access to heroin because of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So thinking about that, um, kind of rounding third here a little bit, uh, let's talk about some treatment, recovery, stuff like that, and how someone can get their life back on track. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, depending upon your income level, the problem we get is that a lot of people have blown their blown their lives up. And when they finally call us, they've lost their job, lost their family, they've lost damn near everything. So we charge a fee for what we do uh, because we have to support our families too. Uh, but, but you can, if you don't have a nickel and you're watching this thing, uh, go to the 12 steps. There's th- uh, three groups, three major groups. Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, Sex Addicts Anonymous, S-A-A, and S-A, Sexaholics Anonymous. And they have meetings almost everywhere, maybe not the country, but certainly anywhere around urban areas. There are good meetings and they're good people. There are no professionals there, so you're really not going to do, you're not going to go do what we do. We go down deep into your psychology and we update your software. What you're doing with the 12 steps, as far as I know, is that you're using a, a very, very solid sound program uh, developed, you know, by the uh, AA and, you know, which the, the uh, sex groups replicated. And they just, uh, it, it's useful. What do they say? Keep coming back. It works. And it, it does. It helps. But I wasn't going to be one of these people that had to go to five meetings a week and the and the SLAA picnic on Saturday and Sunday. I, I didn't want that kind of life. I wanted more be more independent. So the treatments that we came up with were started, they're based on two things. Number one, you're not your mind, and we convince you and have you understand that. And number two, you can fix it. So what we're trying to do here is to get not, not just talk therapy, so because I, my addict laughed when I was doing talk therapy. It just didn't, it didn't catch, it didn't catch me. Um, but what we do here is, is teach people that you, you, we teach them to be their own therapist. That's what we do. And you can't fix this unless you fix it. You know, you fix it. And you it. need help fixing it. You need help to, to have people teach you how to. What we do here is different than traditional talk therapy. We teach you how to take our job. We teach you. We're trying to get our, put ourselves out of jobs as soon as you make the phone call to us. I mean, that's so re- regulating emotion, things like that. Yeah, watching what he's doing. And, and it's humanly possible, although, although it's not taught, well taught, to watch your mind. Because if you ever heard of, you know what a porn filter is, right? Uh, for, no. For a computer? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like covenant yeah. eyes or something right, like right, that. Right. So we want, you know, those, those things don't work too well. They work somewhat, but they don't work too well because most of my clients, when they put porn filters on their computers and their phones, they spend more time trying to get around them, which is ridiculous. So what we're trying to do here is help you install your own porn filter, your own hooker filter, your own boob filter, so that in the nanosecond that it takes for you to look at a woman's boobs jiggling when you're walking down the street, like you see, you know, you see that. Yeah. Or when you go to the beach and people have bikinis on, in the nanosecond that you could frame it out as, wow, 
that's hot stuff. And then start to let your body uh, get that rush. Uh, that what we do is help you install software. The beard uh, test. The beard test. Yeah, I'm a man. I'm not a kid. Just rub your rub your uh, hand on your face, and if you hear a sound, you're a man. So, so what we're trying to do is get you to have a filter that says, "Hey, that's not your business. Hey, uh, pay attention to your wife, or let's go get a hot dog, or or there's no there's nothing there for you. You're an older guy, and that girl's 20 years old." Uh, you know, that's the that's the input we want you to get rather than just the rush that you're used to getting of going to that dark, you know, that dark place where it's, it's going to take you down. What are some of the things that you do for yourself on a, on a daily basis to keep your mind healthy and in shape to the point to where you're not acting out anymore? The most important, uh, the most important two things phrases that i say and i these are i can't you know we don't have time to go into it today i'm sure but they're called koans k-o-a-n and uh, my wife was a tibetan buddhist nun and she helped me find these two koans that have been most useful to me a koan is kind of a riddle that you give somebody if you're a, a buddhist in tibet uh but uh, uh these these were uh, six thousand years old and they were whispered from wise man to wise man to wise man. So if I can help your audience by telling you that what I say, uh, especially when I'm triggered, not just by women, but by anger, by fear, by shame, by anything that comes up for me, that I know is an intrusion as I put my hand on my heart and I say, what's always true? And then I get still for a second. Uh, so what's always true is that I'm not my mind. What's always true that I am conscious awareness, and that I don't have to. I don't have to buy into the anger, the fear, the boobs, the rear ends. I don't have to buy into uh, whatever it is. So what's always true, and I say that maybe 50 times a day uh, to myself, uh, out loud if I can, uh, and it it brings me back to the now. So, which is uh, you know we also get our clients to read a, another book by Eckhart Tolle called Practicing the Power of Now. And, the, and uh, you know, he talks about there is no future and there is no past. You are here. And if you worry about the past and you project into the future, you're not being in the moment and you're really not having a good time. So the other koan I use is how good can I stand? It? It's kind of silly. Sounds kind of silly because it sounds... Sounds ridiculous. Well, what do you mean how good? You can stand it good. Well, maybe not. Put my hand on my heart. I say, how good can I stand it? How good can I stand it? And that elevates me. It, it allows me to leave uh, the stinking thinking. And I'm, I've got that hooked up. So I say it. It's just like the beard test. Uh, it's like the other, in my book, there's a, a lot of interesting ways for, for you to not act out to interrupt your mind, to interrupt the cycle. That's why the book is called Breaking the Cycle, uh, because you do break the cycle if you do what we say, your way. What the interesting thing about the book is that the homework I give in the book every week is two things. Read chapter one and tell me what does it say, and number two, how can it help you? And then send it to me, because I want to know what you know, and I want to know what you don't know. Because if you know the stuff in the book your way, you're not going to want to do this stuff anymore. And so that's essentially how we're helping people help themselves. Because at the end of the book, I want people to say, 
I could have written that book. It would just, the, the stories would have been different in it. You understand? Yeah, absolutely. I think that is the perfect spot to end it. Breaking the cycle. George, thank you so much for coming on today. Go out and get this book. Um, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. My pleasure. Have a good day.